The mist begins to clear. The sun is over the horizon. You step onto a ship where you see Josh Karam and Aaron Thompson as you begin the maiden voyage of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast, the first Dungeons and Gatherers podcast where two nerdy friends talk about Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, and any other nerdums that they love. How you feeling, Aaron? I am so ready to kick off this podcast. I'm glad, I'm glad, because we are going to start with a Dungeons and Dragons topic today, something that we talk about all the time, the natural 20. What does the natural 20 actually mean? A lot of people want to pretend they're that bard who uh, sees a scary dragon who's the final boss and is like, I want to seduce that dragon. And they roll a natural 20 on a performance check and uh, or persuasion check. And the DM's like, well, I, I can't. I can't just ruin the climax of this. This dragon can't fall in love with this bard. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's the topic of a lot of memes, right? You either get... This is like you try and crush a spider and you roll a nat one and you light your house on fire, right? It's that <laughs> that same paradox of extreme success or extreme failure. And I guess the question is, you know, how do you handle that at the table? Everyone who's played D&D has those experiences where the DM looks at the player for a second and is like, I guess oh, we're doing this. I guess this is happening right now. <laughs> Because it's, it's sometimes that thing where it's a joke at first, and then you see the dice, and everyone just looks around at each other, and it's like, it's happening. Yeah, it we've all had that moment at the table where someone jokingly says, oh, I want to roll to, you know, find a ping pong table or whatever, and suddenly they roll a natural 20. So, like, what are you supposed to do with that, you know? True. So I think let's let's start from the uh, the text itself, the the ancient ah, text. The tomes, yes. So I've been consulting. I've been in, sitting in my horde, in my dragon horde, poring over the ancient texts, and I found on page 242 of the DM's guide under the section running the game, critical success or failure. And I'm just going to read it to all of you. So, rolling a 20 or a 1 on an ability check or a saving throw doesn't normally have any special effect. However, you can choose to take such an exceptional roll into account when adjudicating the outcome. It's up to you to determine how this manifests in the game. An easy approach is to increase the impact of the success or the failure. For example, rolling a 1 on a failed attempt to pick a lock might break the thieves' tools being used, and rolling a 20 on a successful intelligence investigation check might reveal an extra clue. So here it even says right off the bat that it doesn't have to change the way that the game runs. We just take it as sort of this unspoken rule that whenever you get the maximum or minimum value, it's a special circumstance. I was DMing a campaign that we've been playing for a long time now, and I had this character in it that I was like, ooh, this is going to be great. She's actually, she's secretly the daughter of the villain from a previous campaign, and it's going to be awesome. And then I forgot, I think one of you rolled like a natural 20 on an insight check about who her lineage was. I Yes, I did. I did do that. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm revealing this right now. <laughs> um, Just give me your notes, please. I'll just have all of them. <laughs> that's that's the other net 20 thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, just hand me your notes. You, I, uh, I, I think, actually, I'm the DM now, so... <laughs> but in the end, the thing is, 
you don't always have to reward the success of a natural 20 with being like, okay, here is everything mm-hmm. that I was thinking. Right. There's, there's, a, there's a quick thinking where you could be like, okay, let me take just a second to think of how do I rationalize this but not break the entire suspense that mm-hmm. I was building up. Yeah, and it's easy to get swept up in, you know, like the, oh my god, I just rolled a nat 20, and then everybody at the table screams, and you as the DM, immediately overwhelmed. (laughs) And you have to think for a second about what this means. And I agree, it's not a complete role reversal. One of the podcasts that I love to listen to, shameless plug for not another D&D podcast, there comes a point where one of the characters is, like, having an argument, trying to repair, like, a relationship, and rolls a natural 20, but then the dungeon master takes a moment to say like yeah this is like a good thing for sure like it will help things heal but it doesn't mean that you go back to being like best friends or whatever you know like the relationship is not immediately repaired it's just like things are headed in a good direction you know True. like it's still i think it still should exist within the realm of the world you should get a little something right that's mm-hmm. what the natural a 20 little is. something a little something it's a certainty that something that you want will happen and I think you talk about it all the time in D&D in general, that there is the spell wish for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, if we're talking about changing the scope of the, you know, the world, that's reserved for a ninth level spell, which is much more difficult to get, I would find, than a 1 out of 20 chance. And this is this is a story in the end, right? You're creating a story with the players, and if two people hate each other and you get a natural 20 to persuade somebody... All of that buildup doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's ultimately game-breaking, and that'll take people out of the out of the game and the story itself. I had a player in a campaign who was leaving after that session. He was uh, going home to a part of Alaska, and I was like, oh, I need to get like some like cinematic way for him to leave. So I'm like, who's the most fragile character in the campaign? And I'm like... Who would fail a dexterity saving throw? The wizard. So I'm like, okay, great. I have this goddess woman who is powerful. Think of uh, the the female barbarian in Diablo 3, like someone of massive proportions. What a strangely specific example. I know. (laughs) It's almost as though Diablo 3 influences my campaigns. Hmm, crazy. Uh, This player's character is going to save Rachel's character and sacrifice himself. And then Rachel rose a natural 20 on her strength saving throw. And I was like, oh. And I think I had like a plus 7 strength modifier. Or like a plus 10 strength modifier on Mm -hmm. this barbarian. So I kind of had a little thing where I I, I bent the rules a little bit. I rolled an opposing save against the strength saving throw. To then have her get like something really high to outdo it. But in the end, when I think about it. It's me as a DM to find another way to make it work the way it needed to work. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those moments where you have to think about the the whole scheme, right? And, like, Rachel had no way of knowing that, like, this was your way to get Steven out of the campaign, you know? Yeah. So, sorry, to name drop all of those people. <laughs> I was about to say, we're using Hi first Hi, guys, names. what's up? Yeah. <laughs> If they only appeared in the podcast right if now. If only. Like a, wouldn't that be magical? A, a rift in the Dungeons & Gatherers uh, cinematic universe opens and I outdoors. see it. Yeah, right above the, the mast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're so high in the air. Oh, no. Um, Catch them. Yeah, Quickly. It, Roll oh, a dexterity oh God. save. Oh, Catch no. our friends. <laughs> wow, what a strange turn this has taken. 
it has yeah, it's, um and that brings up a whole lot of other questions about like you know how railroaded is a campaign if you're willing to allow nat 20s and nat 1s to be special things right and if you're willing to allow the dice to tell a story then you sort of have to be willing to let a little bit of randomness come into the encounters right exactly you can if you have those storybook moments you have to understand that they can't always play out the way you want them to because the dice and the game exist for that mm-hmm. reason. Right, which is what we love about the game. They have a variant mode called Automatic Success, which I thought was sort of interesting and similar because sometimes it leads with, like, the randomness of the D20 roll leads to some nonsense results, right? Where, like, if a fighter rolls really poorly on trying to, like, open up a battered-down door, trying to, like, burst through it, if they roll really terribly on a strength check, then that means all of a sudden their physical skill isn't good enough versus like if a rogue rolls incredibly well, then they'll be able to knock down the door with ease, right? So like how do you balance that out narratively? That is a really good question. I was playing like a bard one time and someone was playing a barbarian and they like broke their foot trying to lift a crate, but me as a frail five mm-hmm. foot five satyr was able to pick up this crate over my head and I was like, this is weird. This is a little bit strange. Yeah, how do you... I don't know, Josh. You, as a, as my primary dungeon master, how do you think about like making that make sense narratively? So it's, it's almost like you always have to have like a mind open to what's going on in the head of every character. And I think as players should be open to do that as well. Like, we don't know what's going on in their head at that moment. You could think of, oh, my mind's somewhere else. Or going back to the fighter busting down the door... They could just be so overconfident that they trip over their foot and just kind of bruise their shoulder off the side of the door. I do that a lot in our campaign. Um, I'm notorious for rolling twos on all of my stealth checks as the rogue, and so I've stubbed my toe many times. True, it's right? It's very bruised, yes. Like, uh, we, everybody has, like, something they do all the time, right? Like, I, whenever I'm out on a jog... I can still trip sometimes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much. So if like somebody's trying to do an athletic thing, everyone has times where they slip up. Right. Everybody gets a cramp now and again. Yeah, but that's it's funny because that is that's part of a dungeon master has to be open for things to change. A player has to be willing to know that their character that's good at one thing sometimes you're just going to be a little off. That's true. And sometimes on um, the reverse is true that you can get a lucky break. The other thing I was thinking about too, in terms of whether or not how severe are the bonuses and the pitfalls of the nat one or the nat 20 is um, I was looking at the way that they rate challenges. So then with a natural 20, you can complete a hard task in terms of a typical DC. So like with five being very easy, easy, moderate, and then 20 is hard. Like, that actually doesn't seem so incredibly difficult, right? For, like, it doesn't seem so special, right? If a commoner rolls a nat 20, that's, like, it was hard to convince your boss that you wanted a promotion, but it happened, right? Interesting. It's not, it's not like I seduced a dragon. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> the other thing, too, that if we're not taking the nat 20 as an instant success, but we're just taking it as the best possible outcome... Right? That is as high as you can roll. So that is you doing the literal best that you can. Yes. Then I think it can be interesting because I was thinking about this when we're talking about nat 20s with initiative. Because when someone rolls a nat 20 initiative, you still add your regular bonus. True. Otherwise, you can get out initiative even though you like had a critical success. Right? 
Yeah. So, so I was thinking if you add that same logic to other checks, like if you have a character who rolls a natural 20 on an arcana check, right, and they are proficient in arcana and have, you know, whatever, 18 intelligence, you know, then you're adding, you're getting close to, if not already there, right, to 30, depending on what your proficiency is. Those impossible DCs. Right, the impossible DCs. That's, that's when, like, that's how the nat 20 is a little bit different for me, I think, based on, like, what are your already present skills, and then how much above the norm can you go, right? I, I agree with you. I think it's easy as a DM sometimes to ask for a perception check and then wrap everyone around one number. Like, if two people mm-hmm. get above something, you tell them the same thing. But the reality is, if a barbarian... And a wizard, not saying that there aren't smart barbarians. We do play with someone who's playing love an intelligent a smart barbarian. Barb. But most of the time, barbarians don't dump a lot into intelligence. But if both a wizard and a barbarian rolled a natural 20 in an arcana check, it's not going to be the same thing. Uh, probably not, right? Because they have different, they come at it from a different perspective. They might get similar information, but it'll be presented to them in a very different way. And I know that probably sucks for the barbarian too, but like, I also don't, I don't think the barbarian goes into that situation expecting to know anything. It almost seems like the situation where it's like, oh, someone else in the party tried, I guess I'll give it a go. Like they mm-hmm. did really bad well, you on know that check. the other party member failed. So you're like, well, shit, someone else has to. Yeah. And that, that actually brings up to something else we talk about with the, with like a, a barbarian, let's go back to the arcana exact or arcana, sorry. Arcana mm. example. I almost said Arcana. I guess the question is more with uh, from the DM perspective when somebody rolls a natural twenty as a barbarian and like you just have that moment where you're like, that's weird. Why would they get a natural twenty? Well, I guess you know this for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um can be a little game breaking, right? If we're looking at, it also depends on the kind of story you want to play. Like if you want to be really invested in the narrative and the story, then like. You know, you have to be willing to, like, say what makes sense for your character versus if you're, like, just trying to do a dungeon crawler where you don't really mind if there's a couple moments where you need to suspend your disbelief a bit more, then, like, that's your choice, too. But for me, I love a rich story. And I, and then it's just more challenge for you as a character and for your dungeon master to, like, come together with why would your barbarian know this so you can avoid the for whatever reason, you know... Agreed. It it validates the character, and it might add, like, a fun bit of backstory. Like, back in your youth, you were in a village, and a wizard came to town, and he talked all about this, and it never left your mind. Mm-hmm. Or it was always fascinating you as a child, and that's why you remember it. And then in the future, right. if there's any arcana checks, if the player's okay with this little uh, wizard thing you created, then you can always, like, go back to that example, where it's like... The wizard came back another year, and he he talked about this the entire time. And you really like that wizard. You're you're Gandalf. Everybody it's your wants Gandalf. a good Gandalf. You have a Gandalf, exactly. Who doesn't want a Gandalf? I want a Gandalf. So true. Oh, and it is definitely Sir Ian McKellen. Obviously, it has to be my wizard. That's my wizard. <laughs> That's my wizard. I will That's also like take a, a a young Christopher Lee before he was evil Saruman. Oh, so like a nice Saruman. Yeah, I, don't, I just can't get past the voice. The voice just, like, brings out a sense of doom in me. Uh, I don't know. That that childhood villain voice, like, I was always like, oh, my God, it's Count Dooku on the screen. Like, I <laughs> love that villain voice. There it is. No, he has a wonderful voice. Thank you for tuning into the Christopher Lee podcast, by the way. Anywho, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
So uh, another question, if I could bring it up, uh, was I think, or not a question, more I think we should go back to the Nat One a little bit because I kind of breezed over with mm-hmm. the Nat One. I I always uh, I think I always come to this thing as a DM when I roll a Nat One in combat. Oh. I feel as though there should always be some kind of negative consequence because yeah, when you roll a Nat they Twenty, you get a critical in the hit. book too, right? Yeah, I. So I have a weird, unpopular opinion among most of my DMs that when someone rolls a nat one on a saving throw against like a spell effect or something, that should also be a crit. Interesting. I'm saying let saving throw spells crit, but like do it in the reverse. That's really cool. I like that. Thank you. I mean, it's very dangerous because a lot of saving throw spells end up being more powerful. It's true. It's a really good point. Right? So, but... If you get, like, hello. an 8d8 spell and get a crit mm-hmm. on an 8d8 right. spell. Right. Like, if if someone gets a nat 1 on a saving throw against Fireball, like, you might as well say goodbye. That's fair. I I actually... I'm intrigued by that. We should we should try that one session. Just to see. Just to see what happens. I'm always big as a DM, and I talk to Aaron about this all the time. I'm really big on, like, playtesting. Like, we should playtest certain mechanics that we want to try because mm-hmm. it makes the game fun. I've For done, sure. I also I, like as a character. I have no problem with saying like, "This is being too much, right? This is too powerful. Yeah. It is breaking my experience with the game." You want mechanics to feel good, right? Like you mm-hmm. want it to feel fresh every time, right? And you want to be able to like pick it out and say, "Oh, this is a great instance to use this," right? As opposed to like, "Well, I have to, otherwise I'm just like not playing the game as well as I could." Right, it's like, I'm always going to cast this bonus action and this action. I am mm-hmm. mid-maxing my character, so it only right, does which this is, constantly. I know some people probably love that. And that is a way to, I don't want to blame people for it, because that is a way you can play. You make your character the most perfect version of the class you possibly can, and mm-hmm. you play that. Right, if you want to just dungeon crawl and kill your enemies, some people are super into that. Some people... Some people love combat in Dungeons and Dragons. One of the first campaigns I ever played was a solely combat campaign. It was a naval campaign that was all about fighting enemies. Was that fun for you? It was one of my first experiences, so really it was a little confusing to be honest. This was like years ago. <laughs> but in the end when I look back on it, I was like I had fun, but there was like no role playing and that's mm-hmm. as an actor, I think that's just like how can you not? <laughs> right. I think because it's our maiden voyage, right, and our audience doesn't know us yet, it's important to note that um, Josh and I are both actors, and we play Dungeons & Dragons with mostly actor people True. that we know. So, like, surprise, roleplay is, like, a very important aspect of everything that we do in this game. Because we all just want to, and especially during the times that we're living in right now, we especially want to just escape and play a character. We want to mm-hmm. improv with our friends and have a good time. Yeah, definitely. Get to just go, you know, adventure and talk to people and be in large groups and, you know, stand elbow to elbow in a sweaty bar. Just me. <laughs> Do a couple no, drinking okay. games. Uh, con Do a couple saves. drinking games. Meet some strangers and feel no guilt. You love a good bar episode, right? I, I feel every, as though this I is... I always love a good bar episode. We're, we're going a little off the net 20, but it's so true. We, we always talk about, you know, you mix a little combat into your role play. That's... Mm-hmm. You, you do a back and forth system and you figure out how many for episodes sure. of each you need. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and it's different for every game too, right? But And it's different also if you have a good like virtual tabletop or not. Oh, right? true. So, but that's a whole that's a whole another conversation that's for a That's a whole other conversation. But you, we were talking about the bar for a second and I think you're right about the NAB 1 
with um, a saving throw because if you're drinking, you're drinking ales at mm-hmm. the good old uh, Red Dragon Tavern. We'll say naturally. Well, the only brew for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. So oh. jot that down. Oh boy, I've done goofed it again. <laughs> But if you get a nab one on it, it shouldn't be that you just fail. It should be you fail hardcore. You really, you should have eaten breakfast that day, you know, or you toss your cookies. Yeah, no, yeah. Because <laughs> you get your natural 20 on it, you're perfect. You drink right. that thing like nobody else. Mm-hmm. You probably have a really loud burp at the end of it. We recently had a, uh, a little uh, bar experience in a western town. Oh, yeah, we did. Our little dwarvish character drank like a tank. Which no one should be surprised about. He really was true to to his people on that. Exactly, but like Nat 20 stuff, and yeah, like that's rewarded. Mm-hmm. There's a price you pay, right? Yes. If, you're will- if you want the incredible reward of the Nat 20, you have to also accept the other side of the coin, or the 20-sided die, right? Which is the Nat 1. So it just depends on how far t- on the extremes you want to go in each direction. It's true. And you... If you want to be able to seduce the dragon, that also means that you might, you know, if you fail your deck save, plummet to your death, you know, instead of just, like, take a little bit of damage. Like, you might die. <laughs> or you might get seduced and, like, have the same... The dragon might seduce you. You never know. It's true. You you make a choice to roll. You actually... It's weird... We play the game so we roll the dice, but you actually never have to roll a die. No. Then there's ways to go about it, too. In the, You can talk about in the Dungeon Master's Guide how they say you don't have to use the dice too much if you don't want to. You know? Yes. Some DMs only use them during combat, I'm reading from the Dungeon Master's Guide. That's so interesting. And determine success or failures as they like in other situations. I think I watched a podcast once where the DM did that because I was oh I think I got too angry at it eventually because I'm like ah why that person persuaded that person why didn't he roll <laughs> where's the dice well it's because you love the randomness you love the the possibility that people could fail or succeed where you don't expect them to I think it's also it's this is more of an actor conversation but it's like trusting that somebody else will give in you can't have two people constantly being like no i win or no i win like if you're trying to barter something down you can't just have a make it lower no make it lower no like Mm -hmm. the dice help with that too they do they facilitate that conversation for sure and ultimately they i think if you're ignoring dice rolls and saying like your persuasion skill isn't high enough to negotiate a lower price you know, it's very like cut and dry as opposed to like, I tell the shopkeeper my argument. It's very convincing. The dungeon master is like, oh, wow, what a convincing argument. I'll even give you advantage. And then you roll. Yes. Right. And one of those is like maybe a natural 20 because that's the theme of the day. Or maybe it's like an, uh, an equally good roll. Right. And then suddenly you feel like you have a whole narrative. Right. And then you, the dungeon master gets to narrate how the shopkeep looks persuaded and somehow like might look like they're interested in you, you know, like, and then you have a story as opposed to just like the flat no of, you know, the flat no or yes. Like you get a 10% discount because you have a plus 10 to persuasion, whatever, you know, that's a little boring. Yeah. And that also goes back to the persuading the dragon as well. Like no matter what your goal is, you might not get the whole goal. Mm-hmm. But you get something. You get that you get 10% something. discount. 
the dragon might get a little distracted with you. Like, th- mm-hmm. there's certain rewards. They're not like, oh, but I wanted to have sex with the dragon. Like, well, you, ca- you can't have that all Well, the first time. off, you shouldn't. Um, just Yeah, that seems a little dangerous. Anatomically I- speaking, I'm worried for you if that's your goal. But hey, before we delve too much into other dungeons today, uh, anything else before we wrap it? I I think that was a good amount of dungeoning we did. I, I think we delved quite well. I have a lot for my horde that I have gathered, so thank you all so much for listening. Um, we're so happy to have you aboard, although t- next episode, tomorrow, I don't know. <laughs> we might not even be on this ship anymore. Who knows? Who knows where our adventure will take us? Agreed. There's so many places we could go, but we just mm-hmm. want to let you know that it's dangerous to go alone. Make sure you take this. da na 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 the ability to like, comment, and subscribe to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Thanks for listening. We will be back next Tuesday. But in the meantime, be sure to follow our Twitter at DND Gatherers and tweet about the show using hashtag Dungeons and Gatherers. Mm-hmm.